It's going to be an awesome night. You guys want to stand up with me? And uh, we're going to jump right into song together, okay? Praise the Stronger 
that tonight. Can we give him praise for that? Yeah. You guys can have a seat. Well, hey, good evening, everybody. My name is Ashley Covert. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm the communications coordinator here for Mosaic. And so if you ever see me running around with a camera, uh, snapping pictures, it's because I'm hoping to get some good shots for social media later. So dress, dress for that next time you come to church. Um, just teasing. Um, but I'm excited tonight to, to share some announcements and opportunities with you. So um, last week, Nick mentioned that here we are a family, and family pitches in for chores. And so we have a couple chores um, that we don't consider chores, but we have some opportunities for you to serve if you are looking to get plugged in and connected, um, particularly with things that we do to make this place run on Saturdays. So we have opportunities with our tech team, um, taking photos for me, if that is a skill that you have, um, sound, engineering, all sorts of good things. So if you follow that QR code, it's going to take you to our news page, and it'll show you all the opportunities you have to serve with us on Saturday nights. Um, next thing I want to talk about is our 40 days of prayer. So not only are we doing 40 days of prayer leading up to the launch of our Bentonville campus, um, but we're praying for our Mosaic Ministries specifically. So um, I know for myself, if I don't start something at the beginning and have opportunity to see it all the way through the end, sometimes I'll just like ignore it altogether. Um, don't be afraid to jump into the middle of this if you haven't started the 40 days. Um, with that QR code, you can download the entire uh, document and have all 40 days. You can also follow on our social media and we're posting each prayer day by day. So you can follow along with that as well. Um, but we're just trying to reorient our, our hearts and our lives um, to go along with what we're praying for. So last thing I wanna to talk to you about is Discover Mosaic. And if you are new here, or if you've been here for a while, or if you've been here for a really long time and are interested in membership or what Mosaic and fellowship are all about, this is a really good on-ramp um, into community. So we talk about community a lot here. We, we really value community and the way that when you plug in, um, it really changes things. So if, if this year you are looking for that connection, we'd really encourage you to sign up for Discover Mosaic. Um, it's going to be starting on the 5th, and then it's small group format. And the idea is that we get to launch new community groups through Discover. So um, I'm going to pray for us before we continue with the night, and I'm just going to use the uh, day 11 of our 40 days of prayer. Um, so pray with me really fast. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together. Um, God, as, as we are launching into a new series tonight, uh, launching into new opportunities for community, we just pray that every small group at Fellowship Mosaic will be a disciple-making community, helping each member take one more step in becoming like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask, each, uh, ask you to empower each small group leader as they set the direction and pace for disciple-making in their groups. And Father, we pray for our small group leaders to have a passion to become like Jesus first and foremost. Lord, we ask these things with expectancy and dependency um, as we love and live and move in you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Ashley. Man, it's a blessing to gather together. I love sex like this where it's a little more stripped down and you can really hear the voices around you. And I wanna encourage you guys to just be aware who's next to you. Be aware the the song of unity tonight that we sing. 
I want you guys to stand with me. In this next song, we're gonna declare that we love Jesus. And I want you to look to your left, look to your right, look who you're singing with and help remind each other uh, of why we're here, what we're doing, responding to Jesus. Uh, so I wanna invite you guys into that, okay? All things have passed away. Your love is staying the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we thought. Things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You cause your sun to shine on darkest nights for all you've done.
affection, our affection, our devotion. I'd love to continue um, to just thank Jesus for what he's given us. And in that, we get the chance to give sacrifice before God. So we've been reading this prayer weekly as a church. And um, I just ask that you would take a moment and take in these words that we're about to say. Would you read this with me as we posture our hearts to give? Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these things and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, O oh Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, will you guys read with me uh, Psalm 71? Let's do this together. It says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. I want to teach you guys a new song. It goes like this. Oh, Lord. My rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you, there is no other. A true delight is found in you alone. Because your grace, your grace. To fathom your love, your love exceeds the heavens reach. 
your truth found a perfect wisdom my highest good and my unending need amen all right we're gonna sing that again okay this is our cry together oh lord my rock oh lord my rock You broke my bones. 
Pray with me. Father, uh, thank you uh, for calling us your beloved. Jesus, rock and our redeemer, we come in this space ready to be transformed to look more like you. In spirit, we ask that you would do what you need to do in our hearts and minds tonight. Uh, Lord, we're excited to hear from your word. It's your name we pray. Amen. Friends, take a seat. Good to see you. Good evening, my name's Colin, and uh, I work with our community team here at Mosaic, and we're jumping into a new book of Ruth, so let's go ahead and hands raised. Who's read Ruth before? Ooh, okay, we got some experts. Who uh, has not read Ruth before? No shame in this place, it's okay, yeah. Who's like, I dibble and dabble somewhere in the middle? Good, beautiful. Well, uh, my hope for you by the end of tonight is that you just have a hunger and a desire to go deeper in this book. I mean, this is, God's word's a good book always, but this part of God's story is is beautiful. And I I really had a great intro planned and prepped for you. It was about how Ratatouille, a a little Pixar movie, brought me to tears last week as I watched it with my four-year-old. I'll save that one for another time. Better one. Everyone loves a good story, right? I mean, we love good stories. Good movies lately? You seen any? Any good reads? I mean, there's something about a story, it just has the ability to transcend whatever situation we're in and and to give us new perspective in it. So I uh, was taking my boys this morning uh, to a park, and they were running across the street. I'm telling a story. They were running across the street, the playground's this way, car's coming that way, and I run as fast as I can to stop the car and, and, and make sure my boys understand. And so then I, I don't turn around to walk the direction we're going. I start walking backwards, and I'm telling my children, hey, boys, this way, park's over here. Turn around, face first into a telephone pole, like hard. And I was about to go for a shameless plug. I was going for a run around the track while they played so daddy could get some time because my wife's out of town, and I'm like, dad's got to run because you kids are driving me crazy. Don't tell him I said that. Moral of the story, should I walk backwards no, right? Like there's, there's something to that. I, I have pain and there's some principles we could even learn there in that story. And so what I would hate for you to do tonight is to walk into a metaphorical telephone pole in our time. Uh, that this story is, is teaching us and shaping us and forming us into what we like to call the image of Jesus. And so what I hope you come into Ruth with tonight, as well as for the next several weeks while we'll be in it, is that you would, would have a desire not just to be informed by God's word, but transformed by it, amen? So uh, if you have your Bible, wonderful. Ruth chapter one is where we'll be tonight. If you got a device, that's cool. I got one too, you can pull that out. But uh, what I'd like to do first is give us a bit of just uh, uh, whet your appetite for the book of Ruth and, and really give us just a, a bit of a clinic on how do we read this book well. Is that okay with you? So first, I think uh, I love the way that the, the uh, over at Yale, Edward Campbell says it, is that the book of Ruth is uh, an intricately woven, magnificently crafted story. 
It is the work of a person standing in the midstream of Israelite life and thought, a person wishing to communicate things very close to the heart of the Old Testament. And uh, like any good story, you have plot, you have characters, you have rising and falling action. Ruth's gonna have that. And here you'll see a a couple of our key characters. One, a a grieving Israelite widow, Naomi, who we'll talk about tonight. uh, Next, you have a, a faithful Moabite immigrant, a woman not from the land of Israel who comes into it and the book's actually named after her, and the story ends with the good news of a future king, one who's come. And I think as we continue in Ruth, one of the things we need to do is identify a few of the themes. Uh, This book, there are so many different things you could approach this book with. And I'd encourage you just maybe take a second and look down this list. Which one of those pops off the page to you? I mean, Ruth, this story, a literary masterpiece, you have faithfulness to God and cultural and national chaos. We could probably use some of that for the church, couldn't we? Uh, significance of women, women and God's redemptive purposes. Amen, ladies? Yeah, that, that is the same man's show. This is, this is God's at work. This, we're complementarian here. We believe that God has created man and woman and has significant roles for us in his redemptive purposes. And Ruth, the, the book's named after her. She echoes that. Walking through pain and suffering with God and others. We're gonna try our best to be very sensitive to some of the stories of what people are walking of in this room. Um, Because some of us know very well the pain that Naomi's going through. The loss of a husband or a spouse. Um, The loss of a child. So we want to be sensitive as we approach Ruth each week. Rather than demonizing these characters, to be aware these characters could be sitting in the room with us tonight. And how do we do that well? to walk through pain and suffering with God and others. Next, God's providence and presence in our daily lives. I mean, at face value, the book of Ruth just seems like this mundane Israelite family. What does this have to do with me? And what you'll see as we get further into the book, even here in a moment, that God is present and active in the day-to-day and in the mundane. Next, uh, love for enemy. It's all across the scriptures. I mean, we got Israelites and Moabites, and if you know much about scripture, which you will hear in a little bit, um, these two do not get along together. Yet God's working to bring them close and unified under his kingdom, and it's an invitation to different tribes, different tongues, different nations. And lastly, God's promise to redeem the world through a child. From Genesis 3 all the way even now to Ruth, This promise that God is going to bring about through the seed of a woman, one who will crush the head of the enemy. And that is echoed in here. And so with each of these themes, um, beautiful, beautiful things we could do with them. But uh, I'd encourage you, if you have someone sitting next to you, would you take a second and dialogue with them? And would you say, which theme most intrigues you as we approach Ruth? Go for it. You have permission. Take 10 seconds and tell your neighbor, I really like that theme. And uh, one of the things that we're gonna really press on in our time each week is that Ruth is a story of the Hebrew word chesed. Now, um, sometimes you hear hesed here in Arkansas. Got a little heh, and it's weird. Also, there's like the overemphasis. I don't know if you have any Jewish friends who are fluent in Hebrew. They don't appreciate the like they're like, I'm not a vampire, don't do that to me. So for your terms, this is, I'm doing you a favor here. Say bach, bach. 
the composer, right? Bach, the CH gives a ch. Same with chesed. It's a soft ch. No need to spit at them, just a ch. Ruth is a story of chesed, which is this. Chesed is the wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God. It's a beautiful term. It is key. It is fundamental, characteristic, not just of the Old Testament, but even to the New. It is God's loving kindness. It's his covenant with uh, Israel that, that bleeds into the, his relationship with the church. It is his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. All of these things that God is and God does wrapped up in this term, chesed. As Dr. Bach says down at DTS, in short, chesed is acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. This is the posture in which God interacts and relates to humans, and it is the posture in which he calls his followers to relate to the world. Love for God and love for neighbor. If you don't believe me, look at uh, Exodus chapter 34 with me. This is, uh, Moses is, is uh, leading people out of the uh, slavery to Egypt, and here God is identifying, this is who I am and what I am like. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, O God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, which means chesed. Keeping steadfast love, chesed. For thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Yet the heart of who God is and what God does is chesed, his covenant loving kindness. And at the heart of those who call themselves followers of Christ, image bearers of God, we are to also have this term of loving kindness. So ultimately, I would argue that Ruth is a story primarily about God's loving kindness and our participation with him. Um, some things, though, even before we dive a little further, uh, that you have to remember as we dive into any book of the Bible, but Ruth in particular, some ways that we can read it responsibly, because I think sometimes this book gets read as like, this is a cute love story between Boaz and Ruth. Meh. That's there, but that's not at all what God's purpose is or the author had intent for this. So we wanna read it responsibly. So number one, please remember that God is always the hero of the story. We just got out of Jonah. Was Jonah a good hero? No, that guy was a sleazeball, anti-hero. God is the hero of the story. And even here, you're gonna see Naomi's kind of needs to get her stuff together. And Ruth like is, oh my gosh, this was a woman I wanna be like. But God's the hero behind the scenes. God is the one who's doing the work. Not them, not us. Number two, um, scripture is God's literary work of art. There are plot and narrative and nuances and things that transcends our understanding, the way that stories have the ability just to, to tap into the deepest parts of us and to reveal things that we couldn't even necessarily manifest unless we heard it. So it is with God's word. Next is, is scripture's not an American or a Western book. It wasn't written in English, so even the fact that we're talking about some Hebrew tonight should show you that there's some stuff in this book we need to learn and understand. And uh, as Robert Cup, one of our favorite pastors around here says, he says that scripture was written for you but not to you. Context is so key. So what we wanna do in our time in Ruth is we wanna understand what would be happening to the original audience in that place and what are the principles and practices we can learn from. 
Fourth, uh, it's to be read in community. This is a communal book. I am so for the quiet time, the, the get your scripture alone with Jesus. Do that, please. Uh, Nick Rowan told me the other day it takes 12 minutes in the Bible app to listen to Ruth. I don't know how long your work to commute is or even if you're still at home. You got 12 minutes, but this book is meant to be read communally. So if you are not in a small group, shameless community plug, <laughs> it's time because we need to read through this. And if you are in a small group, or if you have the family or the roommates or whoever is around you, I would encourage you, would you take some time this week just to hear the story of Ruth from chapters one to four with others because what begins to happen uh, is um, we'll be challenged in that. We'll actually have different understandings. We'll begin to grow in our awareness of what God is doing, not just in us, but in others. And most cults start by people who go read the Bible alone. It's, I mean, it does. They get alone, and then they get their interpretation, and then they get out there, and it's just wacko. I don't want that for you or the people you might be leading. So we're going to read this book in community. Please, please, if you don't have someone to dive into Ruth with this week, don't leave without talking to the person next to you and say, when can we get a phone call or a coffee? Lastly, um, Ruth falls in a much bigger story. It's called the grand narrative scripture. Genesis to Revelation is telling a unified whole of what God is doing in this world. And so when we read these things in Ruth, hopefully as you'll even see tonight as we get into chapter one, there are some incredible connections both to further back in the Old Testament all the way to Revelation that is happening within this story of three widows and a guy named Boaz. So please, if you wouldn't mind, um, Take a shot of that or, or memorize them because we wanna be a community of faith who reads Ruth responsibly. And if you don't believe me, look here at the first page of the New Testament. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. First off, mother was Rahab. How cool is it that, that already in the Old Testament we got this woman named Rahab, prostitute, Canaanite, outside the Israelite clan. Yet she is in the lineage of the Messiah. And whose name do you see next? Boaz, the father of Obed, who you'll learn about next week, whose mother was who? Ruth. All the way down to King David, which leads us to Jesus. So friend, um, as we dive further into Ruth tonight, please know that this is meant to point us to Christ and his work. So chapters one through four, I'm gonna argue there's so many good themes this is what I think the book of Ruth is about for us. That the book of Ruth is a story about God's redemptive loving kindness, his chesed, and our response to him. So as we come together each week, in the backdrop of each chapter and each verse and sentence, I pray and hope you'll see this. And uh, without further ado, chapter one, yeah? Hey, um, here's how this book would have been read in context. Um, it wouldn't have been a room like this. They wouldn't have had devices. They would have sat around a table together in ancient Near East Israel. They would have had the family together in the home, and they would have had some food. Sorry, I didn't bring any. I debated, like, do I need to put food up here? And then they would have had some of the, the leaders in the home read the story, and then they would discuss it. And uh, as I started getting further into Ruth chapter one, did y'all know here at Fellowship, one of our primary goals is one, to transform the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas, and two, is to produce and release spiritual leaders. That's what we do. And we have a woman who has led uh, our Ruth studies here at Fellowship, and 
I don't know if ladies, you've had the chance to get in those women's studies, um, but Melissa's has hit the nail on both of those of transforming the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas in the world and a leader set up in her giftings. And uh, I asked Melissa, hey, I, I got into her study a little bit and prep for this. And I asked, uh, you know, most pastors spend anywhere between, I don't know, 30, 40 hours of prep on a good teaching, like on a good week, bad weeks. It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, but I asked Melissa, as I got further into her study, I said, how long have you been studying the book of Ruth? And her answer was, humbly, this has been a labor of love. And she wouldn't tell me. And I, I, everything I started to try to say, I would go to Melissa's study that she's done for Ruth, and she would say it so clean and so clear. And so what I wanted to do tonight was actually invite our friend Melissa to come up with me as we dive into Ruth 1. And here's what I don't wanna do. Um, I don't want this to be divisive or, or for this to be a time where we're trying to make statements. What I do want this to be is a time where we come up under God's word together and are changed by it. So I asked Melissa if she would join me as we dive into Ruth 1 because I, I want as best as we can to enter into the same kind of culture and the same kind of con context uh, that Israel would have been in. So everyone give my, my friend Melissa a big round of applause. Was that, scary, was it humble enough? Scary people. Did I, did I, did I over talk you? No, you're fine. Okay, good. I, I asked her, I said, hey, did, I, I'm, I'm gonna default to like, like really over-exaggerating who you are and what you say. And she was like, please don't do that. So <laughs> humble. So here's what I wanna do first. Uh, I want you to use your imagination with me. And uh, we are in Jerusalem. It's not here, but you're in Jerusalem. And as best as you can, can you imagine yourself with me in a home with your family and we're about to eat a meal and we're gonna sit together as, as good Jewish families would in that day and recall the stories of what our loving, kind, covenant God is up to in our world, yeah? So would you just listen together, family, and hear now from the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. 
And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow, allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then we'd say a Hebrew blessing and a prayer, and then we'd start breaking bread as a family around the table, and we'd talk about it, and we'd discuss what is, what is God's word teaching us in this place? And so family, first, when, when you see there Ruth 1.1, it says, in the, day when, in the days when the judges ruled, if you're familiar with the stories, you would know this is not a very happy time in, in Israel's life. If you were to go back just to the book before, uh, the book of Judges, you would see that in those days, Israel, one, had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And this is a time of chaos in Israel. And uh, what you begin to find is there's actually this pattern all throughout the book of Judges. And it begins, um, one, with, with God providing peace. He provides rest for his people. But uh, Israel chooses evil. Um, maybe it's a, a, a pagan god. Um, they, they choose to, to flee from God's presence. Whatever it is, they, they choose something that is outside of what God has desired for them. And in that place, they are oppressed. Uh, a foreign enemy comes in. The, the God they started worshiping actually starts to ask them to sacrifice their children. They, they find themselves in a place of just spiraling in the sin and in the shame, and they finally cry out. There's, they cry out to God, the I said that the loving kindness, the faithfulness, the relationship with God, and then God would raise a judge all throughout the book of Judges. You would have Samson and um, Deborah and all these incredible stories, and through that judge, God would deliver Israel out of that oppression, whether it was the, the foreign nation coming in and taking over or if it was the, the, the false idol who had the hold of their heart, and he would restore them back to peace. And what you'll begin to see is this is not just the cycle of judges, this is the cycle of scripture, and if we're honest, this is the cycle of our life. Where there's a, a rebellion, a, 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 God wants this for me, but I'm gonna go this way, and it, and it results in chaos and turmoil and brokenness. And then there's that return, the, the, the repentance, the coming back, which ultimately leads to the restoration. 
And what you have to understand is as we go throughout Ruth 1, this cycle is in the backdrop the entire story. So to, to Moab and Bethlehem, Melissa, tell us a little bit about um, Moab and Bethlehem. What, what's the significance in this story? So um, what you just said, the writer sets us up at the beginning of Ruth with the expectation that what we're about to see is everyone will do as they see fit. Um, and Ruth could be, you know, a vignette of the book of Judges. It could be a chapter that kind of stuck in the middle there somewhere that demonstrates the cycle of, of what you just showed, that sin cycle. Um, so as we read the book of Ruth, we have to hold that expectation that everybody's going to do as they see fit against what we're seeing. We're, we're meant to be constantly comparing what we're seeing to that expectation. And so um, the author starts with that first step of the cycle that there's been rebellion and now there's famine and Israel is oppressed. And that's often um, the expression of God's discipline on Israel, but it's, it's a redemptive process, right? So it's meant to bring people back to him. That kind of discipline is meant to, it's like fasting. We're meant to have need for him that, that brings us to repentance. It's evidence of his sovereignty and his right to rule them and nature and, and everything. It's evidence of his love that, you know, he dis, God disciplines those that he loves in order to bring them back. It's evidence of his faithfulness to his covenant. So we see that famine is kind of a bad thing, but the process is meant to be redemptive. It's, it's a good thing. It's evidence of, of his goodness um, and his desire to make Israel a peculiar people, a people of his own. So um, Ellie Melick, you're going to yeah, talk a little bit. Yeah, you're going to talk about him. But his name means my God is king. But what you see and what the author wants us to see is that he is a pattern of of Israel. He is just like Israel in this um, cycle of, of sin in that he, um, he's in rebellion. He's under oppression and he doesn't recognize God's right to rule his life instead of submitting to the discipline that um, God's brought on Israel. He flees and ironically leaves the house of bread to go to his enemy to find life and instead finds death. Yeah. And, um, you know, th that cycle of self-effort. I'm going to take care of myself. I don't trust God to do this, or I don't like what God is doing, and so I'm, I'm going to exit. Um, doesn't work out well for them, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> and Moab, you know, you mentioned they were enemies. They were enemies of Bethlehem all the way back from Genesis 19. We know that they're the descendants of Lot and his daughters. And then uh, from Numbers 22, we we know that they attempted to, to curse Israel, um, through Balaam and the talking donkey. And then it, then as recently as Judges 3, Israel was subject to um, Moab, Moabite rule for 18 years. And then in a really bloody, uh, deceptive kind of overthrow, uh, Israel then conquers Moab and, um, and rules there for 80 years. So there's, there's no shortage of bad blood between these two countries. And uh, so as the first audience of Ruth begins to hear this story, they would know immediately that this was a very, very bad decision. This was a bad move. Yeah, yeah. so even here, when, when you see Moab, for the, the Hebrew mind, as Melissa said, that there'd be three things you should hear. A people born out of incest, yikes, sounds pretty dysfunctional, uh, some witchcraft and pagan 
God involved as well as conflict, ongoing conflict throughout the Old Testament with the people of God. Not the greatest place to be from in the house of bread, Bethlehem, where, where God's people are established. And uh, I love that you brought up um, Elimelech. I always say Elimelech. Am I wrong there? I don't know. You know what? It comes out of my mouth different every time. I like Elimelech. We'll say Elimelech <laughs> from now on. But uh, anybody in the room willing to say, I come from a dysfunctional family? Bet. Look at this family really quick. Uh, the man's name, Elimelech, means my God is king, and his wife, whose name means pleasant. So again, the Hebrew words here. Um, there are two sons. <laughs> here we go. Uh, their two sons, weakness and destruction. <laughs> I don't know if you're looking for some good names for your kids or like that. <laughs> I, would, I would avoid Milan and Kilion. Um, the, yeah, just for the Hebrew mind. Uh, they were uh, Epaphrodites. They were fruitful, a fruitful people uh, from the house of bread in God's promised land. So that all the Hebrew terms there, that's what we see. So already you see this story has some tension in it. And when they reached Moab, incest, Pagan worship, conflict with Jerusalem, meaning they fled. Elimelech died. There's the result of the sin. Fleeing God's present, death. Um, and Pleasant was with her two sons, and then because the, the two sons married Moabite women, not exactly the greatest of ceremonies, matrimonies. Um, one named Orpah, which means a turn neck. Sorry, Orpah. And the other woman named Ruth, which means companion. So already there's a lot of meaning here, but this is what I want to focus on. About 10, days late, or 10 years later in, in the land of Moab, she loses everything. Husband's gone. Now her boys are gone. And the woman named Pleasant is left alone without her two sons or her husband. But recall who's the hero of this very sad story. God. Melissa, tell me uh, what's, going back, uh, what's going on back in uh, Bethlehem. Well, meanwhile, back on the ranch, <laughs> we see that the Lord has blessed, or in the original language it says it's, he's visited his people. Mm. Um, so we know that his presence is there. And, um, and it's the first mention of Yahweh in the text, first mention of God in the text, and we see him immediately active for them, working for them, rescuing them, blessing them, providing for them in Bethlehem. Um, he has not left them. And so this reversal, this um, period of prosperity, the end of the famine and the ab abundant harvest is an example of his chesed. Did I do that right? Yes, I think so. And we'll ask Nick later. Okay, his loving kindness. You know, we see his loving kindness in the end of that sin cycle and... Um, Bethlehem is now in a period of national repentance. It's, it's a time of contrast to our expectation that yeah. everyone was doing as they saw fit. But this is a period of time, at least in Bethlehem, where the people had returned to God. Everyone but Naomi's family. And so wow. they've missed this national repentance entirely. Um, so this is the beginning of um, one of the themes remember if you had it on the list, but this is one of the themes of the book is that the idea of return, it's that sin cycle, the return part of that sin cycle. And in this uh, chapter of the book of Ruth, that word in some form is used more than 10 times. So we know that that's a pretty significant oh, yeah, message, yeah. right? The, the author is trying to tell us something pretty important there. So um, 
so it makes us think again about the sin cycle. Um, but when we look at Naomi's role, we look at Naomi's part of the story, we don't really see um, that return. We, we see a physical movement back toward God, but it seems more needs-driven. And we, we know that from the text because of that little word, so. And depending on your translation, it may say, therefore. And I, I know that it's been taught in this room before. When you see therefore, you say, what's therefore. it there for? And it, that always goes back to the previous statement, what has just been said. Well, God has visited the people and brought them food. And so Naomi is returning to Bethlehem. So it seems more that she's seeking, um, you know, the food. She's looking for something to meet her very physical, very real needs. But what we don't see really is humility or um, a surrender to God's sovereignty. We see that she recognizes that, but um, not really a surrender. Yeah. So no one, there's no one left in Moab now to support them. And um, even going back to Israel leaves them really at risk. They're, they'll, they're, they're the lowest, uh, most disadvantaged class of people um, in the nation. But we know uh, from Scripture that God has made provisions for widows in Israel. And so it's a far safer place for them to return to. Yeah. yeah. And uh, 20 miles walking? About, yeah, so right? it's going to be hard walk. It's, uh, it's about 20 miles. It's rough terrain. And they'll have no provision and, and no protection on the way. My man, Will Blanchard, he's a, a leader over here of one of our small groups. He ran the Grand Canyon recently like three times. So he'd be great. I think the rest of us would struggle. Um, this puts Naomi in a, a, a dilemma, right? Because, I mean, here she's on her way back. And then uh, she says, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your chesed, kindness. But again, um, one, you have Naomi who's uh, lost her husband. She's in Greece and her children. So all of her identity and value has been stripped from her. As well as um, a lot of uh, the relationships she's had are, are gone. Not only that, she's been disobedient. She's fled Israel and now is having to come back. So there's a level of shame and guilt there. And also, here I come with my two Moabite daughters. This isn't looking good for Naomi. So she reaches this dilemma where does she bring these young ladies back into Bethlehem with her, knowing that she may not even know how to provide for herself, or do I just send them back home because that just seems easier? And uh, here she, she gives this kind of a, what, what do you say in the South? Bless your heart when we want to say something offensive <laughs> to somebody. I think she gives this bless your heart chesed. It's um, the Lord's been kind to you. It's been great. Go back to your mothers and find new husbands. So it's not my problem. But look at the response of the ladies. Mm -mm. No, we want to be with you. We've, we've actually, we know what Shamash, the God back there and, and the, the turmoil in Moab. And they've been growing, they've been married for about 10 years in an in Israelite home. They've heard the stories of Yahweh. We, we want to go back. We want to go with you. And so they, they uh, come together, and, and in that place, they just weep because it's hard, and they're struggling. And uh, I don't know if, if you're in Naomi's situation tonight, and uh, you're grieving the loss of something. But I do think there's an immediate principle here of the need to have others in the relationship and in the grief with us and the process that brings. But I, I love, we, we get so raw here. Tell us, Melissa, what's, what's going on with Naomi in this grief well, their grief is common, right? They, they've all, I mean, 
They haven't maybe lost on the same level. Naomi's lost everything, husband and sons. And the young widows have lost their husbands. So there's a commonality in their grief that makes them really tender toward each other. And we comfort with the comfort that we've received. Um, but Naomi's... That's a good line. Uh, you think? It's yeah, it might like be biblical. <laughs> um, but Naomi's argument is, really seems targeted, a targeted effort to make sure that the, that the young widows don't come back with her. Um, they, there's really... I mean, she gives them no incentive whatsoever. There's no reason for them to have any hope um, going back and, and staying with her. Um, but the passage, um, starting in uh, verse 12, really, it gives us a hint of some things, some ways that God's provided uh, for the widows and the lost. It, it hints at that, the idea of leveret marriage and uh, the kinsman redeemer, which I'm hoping Nick will explain to you. On another day, and I won't have to. But I, but the basic the basic principle is that, you know, um, a widow can remarry within the family to the dead husband's brother or to a close relative, and so that secures the inheritance of of that the, of the dead husband and his name keeps his name and secures his name in the line of Judah or in the in yeah. Israel. Um, I told you Nick would explain it to you later. Um, <laughs> But anyway, we, we have the hint of that provision for the, for, the, for the widows when they return to Israel, even in Naomi's argument against returning, because she is so focused on self-effort. She's you know, lost in her own pay, painful circumstances, and she can't see a human way for that to be accomplished. Yeah. Um, but we know from, from all the other biblical scriptures, Sarah, Rachel, Tamar, Rahab, that impossible is not a word that God really understands. Mm. That he's perfectly Are y'all getting all these one-liners she's dropping? Golly. <laughs> um, God is perfectly capable of providing for them and yeah. has promised to and will. But Naomi is kind of stuck in that woe is me mm. and can't see great as God. Mm. And, um, and that's understandable. I mean, she's grieving. She's, she's grieving and kind of lost in that grief. So... But she, she's um, a warning to us. You know, she's a model for us of uh, the hopelessness of self-effort versus the unlimited potential of a great God of Hesed. Yeah. So um, in this short passage, we see her first expression of bitterness. And uh, she feels God did this to her and she can do nothing to undo it. So she recognizes God's sovereignty, but she, that he has the right to rule but she hasn't surrendered to that really yet. Yeah. Um, she actually says, God's judged me. You know, she, he's judged me. And so she's stuck in that sin cycle. You know, she's blinded by her pain and, um, and blaming God. But, yeah. but in that last passage, we see the hints of hesed. We, we see the faithfulness of the young widows to their husbands. And so mm. with Ruth going on with Naomi, we kind of see a glimmer of hope, yeah. hope there. So let's say I'm in the room now, and I'm in, I, I fully resonate with where Naomi is. Um, God's abandoned me. I'm bitter, and uh, this is his fault. I'm blaming. It's others. It's not me. Say that's me and my pain or grief tonight. Melissa, any tips? Yeah, because I've never done that ever. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I would say, and y'all can remind me of all of this later, um, that it would be helpful to get out of your own head yeah. that you're, you are really your own worst enemy mm. and that 
your focus should not be on what you can do, um, but on what God is capable of doing. And, um, you know, I think one of the most important things and the most helpful things as a community that we can do is be truthful with each other and be and allow truthfulness with each other, that it's okay for us to say that we're mad and that um, we're angry with God. And Yeah, like do we have a safe place to even do that? Right, right. And sometimes I think that we don't feel like we do. Like we have to continue to be like we have this all together and we're all doing fine and we have to say all the right things. But, you know, hurt is hurt. It's, it, it's painful and it's okay to say that. It needs to be okay to say that to each other. And then, um, and then I think we need to be Ruth to the other person and be able to say, you know, I'm with you in it. Good. And uh, here in 14 and 18, they weep together and uh, Ruth's not going anywhere. Orpah goes back home, actually becomes uh, um, uh, Goliath the giant. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Becomes his grandma and uh, hard story there. Whereas Ruth actually becomes the grandmother of King David. And even here we see the chesed, the, 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 the loving kindness that Ruth displays. She, she puts the same thing she's heard about Yahweh, this God of slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, present and near in the difficult situations, who seeks justice for Israel. She portrays it perfectly, clings to Naomi, doesn't run back home to, to where it could be easier, stays with her in the pain. And in that place actually becomes the example of the one throughout the story who displays that chesed, that loving kindness that's received from God and extended to others. And uh, it should leave the listener of the story asking that when I'm in suffering or I'm in pain or I see others in suffering and pain, could I even have that within me to do what Ruth does here? And I I think it's important to to ask why. Mm -hmm. Why would she be able to do that? Mm -hmm. I think that that's a crucial I think that's a crucial point. Yes. I mean, what on earth enables her to look past her own pain, to see Naomi's pain, to enter into that, to be willing to do that? Yeah. Um, she loves Naomi, but um, God's obviously revealed himself to her in a, in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. He's changed her heart, and so um, she has the strength then to look past her own grief yeah. or at least look through her own grief to see Naomi and join her in that. Um, yeah. And only God can really make that, make that possible. And I think it's important, too, to remember in this story um, in particular that Ruth has no other access to Yahweh. And so we see from her covenant that her promises to Naomi that she believes in this Yahweh. She, and she wants to be a part of what's happening in Israel. But the only way that she can do that is to go with Naomi. Yes. So... Um, what but God would and it would make that possible? I mean, Naomi's calling herself bitter and unpleasant mother-in-law. Totally. So um, sounds like a nightmare. It doesn't sound pleasant. <laughs> doesn't sound like Nothing the mother-in-law you really want. Out there. Um, so you know, Ruth is really living fully her identity as friend. Her name as friend. Yeah. yeah, and laying down her life for mm-hmm. for Naomi. But she's doing it because she's desperate for Yahweh. Yeah. And she's, her behavior is, is acting out of that need for him, that desire for him. So if she can do that, then we can let God's love compel us to, to do the yeah, same the thing. Yeah, the love for God and love for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
And uh, Naomi doesn't come back alone, does she? Um, no. So in verse 18, they've come, they come full circle finally. They've, they've returned Walked to the, the, the yeah. house of bread. And, you know, we see another irony here and that brings our mind back to, the, to their departure that Naomi left the house of bread full, but now she's returning empty. And we see again that um, evidence of her belief in God's sovereignty, but not necessarily her surrender to that. Mm. No evidence of humility really here at all. She's pretty angry. But I love um, verse 19, uh, where it says the whole town was, <laughs> the whole town There's was some abuzz. Going on. The whole town was stirred. Yeah. Um, can this be Naomi? Is this Naomi? So it makes you wonder if she looks different or mm. if they didn't expect them it's to return at all. Her, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or if it's, you know, is this Naomi and a Moabite? Mm. It, um, it kind of begs the question what is it about her return that's. Um, yes surprising or exciting um, to them. But Naomi's had 20 miles of walking to nurse her grievances. And um, by this time, she's really kind of bought her own narrative. And she, she claims bitter now as her identity and the characteristic of her life. So she is no longer pleasant. Um, but the beautiful thing is, as you keep reading, no one else recognizes that in Naomi. No one else uses that name for her. They continue to call her Pleasant yeah. Naomi. Even though she doesn't. Even though she doesn't believe that. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, one of the ways we can help each other in community, too, is to reject that narrative mm -hmm. for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, this might be what you're feeling right now, but this isn't who you are. This is not your identity. You, wow. You're not your circumstance. You are not your pain. Um, God's has said is always working for you even when you can't see it because you're swallowed in your grief and self-pity. And the conclusion of episode one, from famine to harvest, we come back to Bethlehem and she left empty. She left full and wants to come back empty, but little do we know that Naomi's um, brought back a very significant person, not just in this story but in the grand story of God's purposes that um, we have Ruth. They're, they're actually coming into town at the time of Passover where God, they celebrate the festival of God covering um, Israel, covering the people. And later we'll see, that's that barley harvest. Later we'll see a, another festival that happens in Ruth um, is the Shavuot, that is the Feast of Weeks, which is also Pentecost. So again, even here within the story of Ruth, you have God's covering his people with a sacrificial lamb and the celebration of God's presence dwelling with his people, all within one sentence. And, and I think what we need to do is identify how do we bring Ruth to 2022? Well, I think there's a principle and a practice. I think the principle for our time tonight in Ruth 1 is that in a broken world with broken people, God is making all things new. It's funny, when I, I sat down with Melissa and, and talked about us doing a discussion together, she said, I'm very eschatological in how I approach Ruth very focused on what God's doing in the end of all things. And I laughed and I told her my main statement for the night and I said, I think I am too. That this is the hope. And so wherever you are in the brokenness or in the pain of this life, maybe it's done by you or done to you, God's with you in that place and he's making, he's renewing you in that place. It's the principle for our time and a practice. And uh, we'll close here that, that um, I hope that every time we come together, in the book of Ruth, that this could be true for who we're becoming. That we could be a community, a fellowship mosaic, a community cultivating this life of chesed, that loving kindness. And I think it's gonna be done in three ways. One, 
is choosing to worship God in all circumstances. Um, That's Paul's words to the Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing, rejoice always, and give thanks in everything. Gratitude just has a way of getting us to the heart of God regardless of what we're walking through. Two is that we would sacrifice our desires for the needs of others, that we'd come not just into this room, but even into our homes and into our streets and into our neighborhoods and see what is God inviting me to participate in this place? And I wanna die to myself a little bit. Lastly would be that we would choose to remain kind and loyal in our relationships. Could you imagine what it would do to our country if Christians would start practicing this? If we would be kind to one another. Doesn't mean we have to, to, to um, we can disagree, can't disagree, but, but we actually like each other. <laughs> and we're loyal to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Melissa, would you close with us and then we'll sing one more song and wrap up. Would y'all pray? Lord, sometimes we come back mad and that's okay because you can work with that. You're not afraid of our anger or accusations and our need and our grief. And you're delighted to woo us back by your faithfulness and your kindness. Please make us conduits of your love to each other. Make us faithful to you in that way, faithful to one another. We thank you for the gift of your word and for the privilege to sit with it open in front of us corporately and privately. We thank you for being faithful, Lord, to meet us where we are with grace and loving kindness. Give us a desire to grow in our knowledge of the truth with the help of your spirit so that we can live a life pleasing to you, bearing the fruit of faithful obedience like Ruth's obedience of self-sacrifice and service and faithful assurance of your ability to provide for us no matter what. May your love compel us to love others as our most authentic expression of worship to your glory. Amen. Family, would you stand and sing with us? to leave tonight, I'd love to read this passage out of Exodus. You can have
have that on the screen. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation. Then Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. If you need prayer tonight, we'll have some of our prayer team members available on the sides. If not, let's say this together as we prepare our hearts to go. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And when people said, thanks be to God. We'll see you next week, church.